Fuck yeah. Hard and raw. All right, let's see here. I got to find the intro on the thing. But um, I'm sure you guys have a lot of stuff that you want to talk about. Oh, yeah. Always. Right, Drew? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Drew's on his phone. Drew's like a house plant you have around. <laughs> you just, least, am I a fern, though? No, you're you're like one of those like plastic plants you get at IKEA, you know, just for like I'm a plastic raises, hibiscus raises the general atmosphere. I I seem like yeah, like grown up. I look in I I look interesting, but then I speak and it's like no. I was gonna say shut the fuck. Growing up, up I had a friend who uh, when my grandmother was she died and we were uh, getting a bunch of stuff out of her house. Like, you know, splitting up. My grandmother did this funny thing where she just wrote people's names on the bottom of shit because she knew she was, like, circling the drain. Oh, my God. I think there's a a term for that. It's, like, death cleaning or something like that. Like, spring cleaning. Yeah. So we were death cleaning. And uh, and my friend was like, yo, what's going on with this uh, rubber, like, fake rubber plant? And I was like, (laughs) you can have it. It's fine. So she took it to her house and put it up in her room. And then as, like, she was just kind of a weird chick. And she would, like, for fun, just water it. Just like she first, she would she had a she had an empty watering can that she would like. Oh, gotta water the plant, and then like she was like thought she it was being funny, I guess. And then eventually she started like like yeah, she would that's... spray it with she water out of a spray it? bottle to like look shit? moist and stuff. And then it it stunk so bad <laughs> that thing fucking smelled horrific. Yeah, it's got like old that ass water. Is a mental patient. <laughs> no, she's nice, but uh, uh but uh, yeah. She's like Ben Kenobi. She doesn't really exist anymore. But, um, I thought that story was going to go in a different way. Like, I thought you said the plant was, I thought you were going to say the plant would be haunted or something. Why would it be haunted? I don't know, because I thought oh, you said my it was dead my grandmother. Dead. Yeah. No, her soul's at peace, dude. She lived a good life. The other one, on the other hand, the, she the, might haunt the us. The dildo one? Yeah, she might haunt us for talking about <laughs> all of her weird sex stuff that I found in her I house. mean, have you guys had any supernatural experiences? She hasn't me? died yet, and it doesn't look like she's going to at any point in time. She just got like work done on her heart. Let's do a little paparazzo. Hey, good morning, Kanye. Shut the fuck up. Hey, Kanye, <laughs> are you mad at Jim Camel? Do you have anything to say about Jim Camel, Kanye? Do you think he was too much with you? Hey, are you mad at Jim? Are you- no, 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 are you mad at Jim Camel, Kanye? How's it going, Kanye? Don't say anything to me, man. Like, stop asking me questions. You out in front of my house at 4 a.m. Talking about how's it going. It's not going good. Y'all here <laughs> trying to take money out to, to make money off us. That's how it's going. We were it's 4 a.m. It's 4 a.m. And you ask me how it's going. You know I don't want you to say nothing to me. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? Respect that. Relax. Yeah. Come on. What you mean, relax? What you mean? What you mean, relax? We're on the street, man. You're on the street, man. We don't want to fight. We're on the street. Come on, Kanye. I'm going to change all this. Come on, Kanye. Come on, Kanye. Shut the fuck up. It's 4 a.m., you blood-sucking mosquito. You left the bag right there, Kanye. You want me to be standing out in front of your house at 4 a.m.? Just want you to know we're here to support you, though. Shut the fuck up. You doing that to get more money for TMZ? Every question you ask me. No, I just here to support Shut you. Shut the fuck up! You bully. You Stop. fucking mosquito bully. Pick a profession and shit with some type of respect to it. Have a good day now. <laughs> <laughs> 
You take it easy. God damn, those paparazzos, man. They're an endless source of good little intros. I'm My fully God. on Team Kanye in terms of the uh, the Pete Davidson beef. You had beef with Pete Davidson? No, he's got beef with Pete Davidson because he's fucking his baby mama. Uh. <laughs> he's, I don't know how Pete Davidson keeps getting these. Oh my god, dude, you fucking believe it? That's how he keeps getting it. It's like <laughs> it's like because it's because everybody's like, isn't that we're post irony? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think I forget somebody once said irony died when uh, Henry Kissinger was. Uh, given the Nobel Peace Prize, <laughs> and it's true, but that, that was forever ago. So, like, uh, it's one of those things that uh, his music's fine, but when he d- does a diss track about Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian, I'm like, hell yeah, dude! <laughs> you go, bro. I'll bump it. Yeah, I'm all about revenge. Well, I, I just don't like those two, Kim K and uh, Pete. Like, yeah, I think they're the two most fucking annoying. They're people garbage on, people, on the and they deserve each other. Have you ever seen the Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia? No. It's uh, a lot of words. I know. <laughs> it's a movie that was produced by Dick House, which is the guys who do uh, Jackass. Ah. So Johnny Knoxville produced it. And it's a family that were infamous in West Virginia, the White family. The Whites. You find a lot of those in West Virginia. You <laughs> you you guys have heard them a little bit. The the intro where the guy's talking about uh, killing his wife because she won't- Oh, like, those angry hillbillies. The angry hillbilly people? Yeah. <laughs> They're, uh, that, that's who those people are. That's Jesco White, and he's like known for hillbilly dancing. And, and uh, his sister, Mammy White, <laughs> is fucking hilarious. I'll pull, up, I'll pull up a clip and we'll play it, and you'll hear it too. Um, oh, please do. Yeah, Mammy White's the best. How do you name your kid Mammy? What has to go wrong? No, she's the Mammy of the oh, she- of the clan. You know, oh. somebody said on a YouTube comment, like, "Damn, these people." Need to be like fuck the Kardashians. These these guys need to be like these. They need the reality show. Seriously, people like that deserve it more than fucking Kim Kardashian. Hey, but that's what TLC is for. Yeah, like the True. honey boo boo stuff. Yeah, yeah. Te- television is a cesspool. There's something for everyone, and it's now it's wherever you want to find it. Yeah. yeah. So, but, all right. Well, anyway, here's Mammy White. At your funeral, what do you want people to do? Party their balls off, blow pot in the face, and get pills on my head, and fucking rock and roll, baby. Do you think life's a good thing or a bad thing? I ain't never fucking seen it being good. <laughs> I mean, it's worth nothing. I guess I'll die with nothing. At least the world knows who the fuck we are. The what kid the is smoking. <laughs> children smoking cigarettes. Oh my god. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> they, they rule, dude. That family rocks. And life's never been good to me. Come in do nothing. I'm gonna leave with nothing. That's like more th- more so than the Kardashians. The Kardashians is what is America as it presents itself to the world. Yeah. The whites are what we are in our hearts. Like all of us <laughs> as Americans, that's us. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's that's what we really are. You guys ever look up like dad fights on YouTube? No. It's like, like dads fighting each other. Like like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just so funny. 
Do you have somebody throw a bag of orange slices? <laughs> Everybody clears the field. The somebody candied sh- orange slices, though, not like <laughs> no, the wet ones. So Just the like- wet ones, yeah. There's uh, there's like the somebody yelling at an umpire to arrest somebody, and he's like, "Ma'am, that's out of my control. I'm, uh, I'm not. That's, not, that's out of my jurisdiction." I mean, if you're the umpire, you're back in the. I fuck can tell away you if you're that. out. That's it. <laughs> They're out of bounds. Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah. Uh, while we're on this YouTube tip. I might need to clean this up in terms of like the audio quality and post, but this is one of my favorite Nixon tapes here. It's, it's subtitled, but for the audio listeners, I'll clean it up as much as I can. Oh, God. <laughs> the title. <laughs> Nixon tape discusses homosexuality. Let's, let's, let's look at Northern California. You understand? Yeah. You know what's happening? San Francisco just got it's clear over its I know that, but it isn't. It isn't just down in the ranty part of town, but the upper class in San Francisco. Is that way? Yeah, Bohemian Grove that I attend on time to time. The Easterners and the others have come there. But it is the most faggy goddamn thing you will ever imagine. It's just terrible. I mean, I can watch shake hands with anybody in San Francisco. You don't want to catch the gay. <laughs> My God. He's like, it's not just the shitty parts of town. Yeah. <laughs> He had a pro- pretty progressive view on homosexuality uh, for his time, uh, <laughs> which by that I mean he just said and in one of his tapes he's like, you know they're born that way. Some, <laughs> some of them you meet it's 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 the craziest goddamn thing. <laughs> but then in the next breath he's like, you look at all the great civilizations right before they fell, people were fucking each other in the ass. <laughs> he's like homosexuality is rampant right before civilization falls. <laughs> yeah, I'll clean that up and post so you can hear it. But he basically says. Bohemian Grove is the goddamn faggiest thing you'd ever see. <laughs> it's a cesspit. Yeah. Oh, have you guys seen this one? We're just going to be watching videos and clips and stuff. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. This is an old one. Is this a pilk film? <laughs> <laughs> this is Paul Simon if he didn't make any money. <laughs> I love how that woman just has a giant bald spot on the back that of her That is a head. man. That is a man. Oh, that's a man? That is a man in New York City holding a bodega black bag, berating a, a street performer for being mediocre. In other words, this person did not get accepted to Juilliard when they were 17. <laughs> I would just blow that trumpet right in her face. Yeah. His face. <laughs> Why is he prepared to fight? He's just a pussy. <laughs> He's rubbing it in. I'd play like some kind of like army march anthem. <laughs> He's not half bad to berate, like not to berate off the street. This isn't Suck. about this isn't about him. This is about the guy yelling. Well, yeah, I know. this is clearly a him issue. Oh, I hate people like that. What the fuck does that have to do with anything? I have been in this area for the most more than Not other people. Once have I seen a street performer. He's built like he's built like the skeleton of a minion. Seriously, <laughs> that's an ugly fuck inside and out. Who are you? Who are you? You miserable, presumptuous, no talent. What do you think's in his bag? An honest respect 
Probably like dick pills. A, a dead cat. <laughs> you obviously don't have the talent. You don't have enough respect for yourself or other people. A More smushed egg sandwich. Music really no, not what he smells like, Drew. <laughs> I'm an NYU film school graduate. Oh, no. Okay. And the school of visual arts. Okay. Okay, that egg sandwich thing that I was talking about, that's his cologne that's yeah. in the back. You are no talent. You really had talent go practice. So this person is mad because they went to the same school as Martin Scorsese and they're not Martin Scorsese. Right. You are everything that's gone wrong in this world. In his in his life is what he meant to say. No shit. And I've earned my right to say it. Okay? I had Oh, there goes the other Nineteen seventy-five. I walked Bob Dylan up on stage. I knew the Grateful Dead from nineteen sixty-six. Who the fuck are you? You nothing. You nothing. You are nothing. Is this what you guys see when you're looking at me talking about A24 films and how they're better than Marvel movies? Yeah. I I was listening to this and I was like, this sounds familiar. (laughs) Why have I heard this voice in my nightmares? Shame on you. (laughs) You no talent hack. Him? Yep. He's winded. I wonder if he thinks in his head that this is like his big monologue moment at the end of the film that's yeah. going to change all of life. No. No. I'm still not convinced that's a man. I don't. I don't think that's a species that's been discovered yet. <laughs> like I said, I think it's. I think it's the proto minion. We'll get our best Englishman on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll Send di- an expedition. We'll dissect him after stealing. <laughs> yeah. We'll steal his bodega bag. Yeah. <laughs> God damn, dude, that shit's funny. Oh God. <laughs> oh, a little teaser. I was gonna use this one as the ah. Fuck it. I'll, I'll play it on the intro next week. But um, yeah. Goddamn, dude. Yeah, that shit's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, could anything make you that mad where you would just, like, attack someone, like, just randomly like that? No, not at all. No, there's no way in hell. Like, that. Like what has to go wrong in so your life? so much time and energy in a losing battle immediately. Come talk to that- me when I'm that age and I still have done nothing with my life. You know, maybe. <laughs> maybe. But, like, you know how, like... Watch, I bet that person's 30. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm turning 30 this year, and I'm thinking about how my 20s are behind me, and I'm still and I'm never going to become <laughs> the thing that I wanted to be in high school. But that's like life, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you you, you, you do things, and then you end up somewhere you never thought you'd you'd be, but you're okay with it. And you're just like, you're like I'm going to make the best out of this life. And that guy's never come to peace with that. <laughs> He's never come to peace with being like, you know, it's okay that I never made it big. You know, <laughs> you either do that or you do too many hallucinogens to the point where you lose your mind, which brings me to my next topic. <laughs> I knew a guy in high school. Well, uh, we'll call him John because that's his real name. Um, <laughs> uh, he's on the Patreon. No, it doesn't matter. Yeah. He's a good guy. He's a, you know, comes from a, a very kind family. Good stock. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> his little brother's always been very nice to me. I used to go over to where his dad like owned 
like a like a fuel depot and they had this uh building in the back where we would play like the lord of the rings game on ps2 and eat beef jerky and drink like rc cola that's like some dude shit that's some dudes it was some old school dudes rock stuff yeah you know i I would bring my guys being dudes yeah guys being dudes dude i'd bring my nightcrawler action figure and (laughs) be like you guys check it out and they'd be like whoa that's awesome cut to high school i think he finds out that his mother is Jewish, but has never like been a practicing Jewish person. I think so. Therefore, he is Jewish. Obviously, can you really be Jewish if you don't practice? Then, like, since no, yeah, you can be because it's like uh, I guess according to the Jewish people, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and and with my moderate knowledge is <laughs> it's passed down on the mother's side. I think is how it works. So the, uh, he finds out he's Jewish. He's like, fuck yeah, I'm going all in on this. Because, you know, when you're young like that, you you form an identity however you can. You know, some people do gay shit, like carry around a guitar, like I did (laughs) in high school. And then uh, some people, you know, do that. So he started wearing the yarmulke and stuff. And he was like, I'm going to become a rabbi. And he was pretty serious about it for a while. And then I don't see him for years. And it's like freshman year in college and I'm at a party and uh, he shows up and he's like, he looks like, one of those, uh, what are those little things where you, you, you it's a, it's a, a guy on a little thing. There's magnetic stuff and you make hair on him. Oh, the woolly willy. The woolly willy. He looks like a woolly willy <laughs> with, with like pubes glued to it. He's got <laughs> so much like, scraggly facial hair and stuff. And I was like, he's enveloped the yarmulke. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, Hey John, how's it going? He's like, good man. Good, good. And he's like, he's like, do you want to drop acid? And I was like, no, man, I'm good. I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> Can He's I like, rub okay. your face? But I was like, I immediately, I get it now. But, but I was like, I understand what's going on with you. And um, that I've not ever been into like hardcore drugs or anything. I've done mushrooms, you know, that was pretty cool. Uh, it's one of those things though that like I did probably like a handful of times in, in high school and then in college, early college, I would never really go back to them because I look at it like doing anything that could have a positive, a possible negative outcome, and that, you know, I got out while the getting was good. Yeah, I've it never bring you consistent <clears throat> joy. Well, not so much that, but like I never had a bad trip on mushrooms, so I got out before I did. Yeah, you know, I stopped smart. doing them. I only ever had good trips, so I'm not gonna do them anymore because it, I might. You know, I'm like I'm like ten and zero. I don't yeah. I don't want to be like I don't want to be like you know ten and you one. Don't want to lose a streak. I don't want to lose. I don't. Uh, I I'm ended on a hot streak. <clears throat> And, and there is diminishing returns with it. Uh, that being said, I do think it would be helpful for every person in life to at some point experience that kind of like, like disassociation and like, but like in a happy, warm, fuzzy way that you get where you feel like you're part of this like breathing, like ecosystem of. I can feel the disassociation, just not the happy. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, I exactly. like a piece of shit. No, when you feel like you're like part of the the living, the, the, the living force. The ether. Know? When you, you, yeah, exactly. You feel like you're part of everything. It's like, okay, cool. This feels awesome, but I'm not going to make a lifestyle out of it. Yeah. He made a lifestyle out of it. So I think the normal dosage you take of mushrooms, if you're just like dabbling in it, is like one gram, I believe. Um, and it's disgusting. And you, you smash them up or, you know, shred them or grind them in a grinder or whatever you do. And you either, you, you know, you make it with tea or you d- sprinkle them on a peanut butter sandwich or yeah, something was like it that. You that's what I, that told me how to, if I was going to do it to do it that That's way. the way I did it. And that's why it was like the most palatable for me. But, um, the couple of times that I did it, I, I washed it down with, uh, like Lipton peach iced tea. <laughs> 
So I can't, if I taste peach iced tea to this day, it just, to me, it tastes like mushrooms oh. because I'm like, just like, just like, just trying to eat this peanut butter sandwich and like looking like Mr. Ed and like just taking <laughs> swigs after swig of peach iced tea. Um, John, like, I don't know what the, I don't know what you can, I don't know if you can overdose on mushrooms, but like he did. Like, <laughs> like let's just, I don't know what the, I don't know what the high crazy dosage is, but like, let's say he took like, like five, 10 grams or whatever, but he didn't come back. Like his, Fuck. his mind is gone, dude. Like, and I think he's doing acid and stuff too. But a friend of mine was telling me that he worked at this restaurant with him. And one night he shows up for work in the back and he's like maybe a line cook or a dishwasher or something like that. And John is back there and he's just fucking gone. Like he's, <laughs> and he's like, what's going on with you, man? And his like manager comes up and he's like, Oh, I'm just on a lot of mushrooms. Right now. <laughs> That's he got, restaurant and he, got, he got fired immediately. Wow, <laughs> like, I'm shocked. Look, he you can got do fired. Well, you can do pills and work at a restaurant. That's like what people who work in the back of a house do. Like you go to any restaurant in America and in the kitchen, everybody's on pills. <laughs> like that's I just, worked at a restaurant behind I'm the dumpsters. <laughs> the dishwashers, yeah, behind the dumpsters, the dishwashers would shoot up heroin. That's strikes me as not possible because they did they would just sit there for hours well that's when you're off because you can't function while you're on heroin like i've never done it but i've seen movies and like you just kind of you know, i've watched the sopranos i see what happens to chris <laughs> tony calls him up and he's like you know call me back from a payphone and then an hour oh. and a half later chris makes his way to a payphone and he's like i've been waiting for an hour and a half <laughs> what's going on with you chrissy and uh so like you can't really function on it, but no, yeah, they literally would just lay back there and they wouldn't do it all at once. It was like one at a time. Yeah. The, the, well, at least they took shifts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They gotta be responsible about it. So yeah, that's uh that was, that was John, that poor guy. I wonder what he's up to these days, but his, his little brother did pretty well. He, uh, he has like a family. I think he moved to like Tennessee or something like that, but did you become uh, a rabbi. No. <laughs> he, uh, but yeah, his, his little brother was always so like proper. You know, even when he, cause he was younger than us and we were pretty young, but he was, he was always like, well, hello, Kyle, how are you doing today? <laughs> he it's wanted very, to impress the big kids. It's very good to see you here. And he would like to go see my mom at church and he'd be like, Mrs. Donna, how are you doing? It's very <laughs> nice to see you. You know, how's everything at home? How's the dogs? Great. Good to hear it. Listen, it's been a <laughs> very nice chat. I'll talk to you later. It's like, I'm trying not to do a Jewish voice, but like that's, <laughs> he, he, he had like that, the, the properness of like a, like a, a very young businessman, you know, it's like that John Mulaney bit. He's running for mayor of nothing. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Well, but yeah, poor a poor guy. I hope he's doing all right wherever he's at. Shouts out, John. Um, Sounds like regardless, he's living his best life. Yeah, but speaking yeah. Of, speaking of people that are not living their best life, you had some <laughs> you had a uh, some some pilk news to to bring to our oh, attention. Yeah. Or so you well, let's give us yeah. a little what's time and place. You're at the college working. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um. Well, uh, yeah. It's all sports much. broadcasting, but people are there who are taking the class, and people are there who are getting paid like yourself. Yeah. Well. Both of these Knicks were part of the class, and the paid people needed to know, like, differentiate between the two. Because you're on headsets and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. So the first name that they decided on was Nick L. So they decided Nickel. Nickel. Just, we're going to call him Nickel. Very quick. So then they decided- Not uh, a bad nickname, by the way. Yeah, no. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Yeah, making yeah. money. Um, so uh, then they came to the uh, connection of, wait, then what do we call 
Nick P. And it's just like, it's pilk. And it's just like nipple. <laughs> <laughs> and how did nipple take this? <laughs> uh unsurprising to anyone, not well. <laughs> uh, he deserves uh, nipple. he kept yelling at the top of his lungs. <laughs> This will not stick. And <laughs> oh, you're which ensures that it will. He's exactly. It. He's totally He's cementing, cementing it. Yeah. that it will. And literally all of the paid employees are just like, <laughs> oh no, we're going to use this every time now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, and even like the 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 class that's there is just like, oh no, we're gonna we're totally gonna keep this. Yep. Yeah. We're gonna keep this around. They're sending for a, very a mass long email. <laughs> It's, it reminds me of the good old that's like in the last episode of Peacemaker. He's like, what happened in the good old days where you could just fuck with someone nonstop without them claiming to be a victim? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, my God. That's so fucking and great. He yeah. deserves that. He is His movies are as useless as nipples. On a man. Man. Yes, man. man's nipples. Yeah. Okay. Or, or on a boar hog. <laughs> I used to in the meat department. I used to work with a guy, and he'd talk about other people. Like, Man, boy, he's useless as tits on a boar hog, <laughs> which is like a famous saying. But like, it was funny to hear a, an old meat cutter with a mustache say it. You know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the best part was just him. A- anytime, like every fucking nipple, time, go. Yeah, ni- like <laughs> hey, nipple, and it's just like it's not gonna stick. And it's like. <laughs> I can see him getting yes. so red yeah. in the face. He does get really butthurt over stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, and you can't do that. You just got to, like, roll with it. And, and like, it it, even, like, everyone that was simultaneously making fun of him was saying, it's like, you know, if you don't say anything about it, even if you own it, we're going to stop. If you keep saying it, oh, it's not going to stick, which is weird considering it's coming from a nipple. Um <laughs> <laughs> It's going to stick like a pasty. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Uh, it, it, we're going to keep calling you that. Soon yeah. his films will say a nipple production. Yeah. God, oh, dude. yeah. I said that. He was like, oh, it's a nipple production. A nipple film. <laughs> it's that was my jab at him for the week. I, st- I still need to get the, uh, oh, man, those are really funny films you got going there. <laughs> Whenever I would try to give him a, like a slight critique on anything he did, he would bristle just that same way. Like He's like, listen, I've only ever had positive reinforcement in my life, and I'm not about to change that now. Like That's the Fuck vibe you. he gave off. Yeah. You're, if you're a yeah. fucking hack, you don't deserve to be lifted up. And look, you don't have to be resigned to being a hack. Just take the advice. Yeah. By an outside person. He's a fucking hack. Is watching it with some objectivity, you know? <laughs> but yeah, that shit's funny, dude. Yeah, we've been uh, hate watching more of his movies, and we recommend anybody listening to the same. Um, <clears throat> not to necessarily hate watch, but just to see what we're talking just about. Just comment LOL on any Pilk I mean, production. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what I want to do, is just comment just LOL. Um, but yeah, his... <laughs> He just—I—I I, I don't know if he by this point if he knows he's a laughing sock, but I think he doesn't. I don't think he knows that. No, judging by nipple, he does not. Yeah, he—he he takes himself very seriously. I think he yeah. thinks people hate him, but like he sees that as like you know getting like recognition or yeah. something. Like there's always going to be haters, but I'm going to rise above them. Sounds like a president deal. I know, because <laughs> that's who he thinks he is. He's like that kind of like, he's like, I'm going to be, some people are going to hate me, but I'm going to be loved by the people that are cool. Yeah, the people that the matter. People who get it, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's let's talk about some more historical stuff, some some funny some funny things, boys. I was doing a little perusing on the old Wikipedia, which is the only place that I go to look at information. Because, I think he has everything. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you remember in college how uh, professors would be like, don't use Wikipedia? 
Such bullshit. And no. Oh, well, the, they, <laughs> high schools, yeah, but. Did they not know that you could just go to the bottom of the page and find, like, the like if you have a fact that you want to pull from Wikipedia, you just click the little annotation, and it'll take See, you to the website, and like, then you just cite that instead? That's I what, don't think they cared. No. Well, like, the, the, my, at least with my teachers that really actually cared, a lot of them were just, like, like 99.9% .9 of the time, Wiki's right, just. Like, I'm going to not say not yeah. to use How did you get lucky like that? Yeah, when I was going to college. It, it was select professors, but, like, was, the ones that, like, were, quote, unquote, like, picky about it, they'd be like, now, yeah. go to the bottom, and those were the real See, sources See, they didn't even say are. that to us. They just said yeah. across the board, no Wikipedia. No Wiki. And to me, it always struck me as, like, when I was in high school, and they were like, you're not going to have a calculator everywhere you go. And it's like the joke's Fuck on you, yeah, motherfucker. <laughs> Everybody does. It's called your fucking smartphone. So like all the math teachers, whoever told me that, it's like, who's retarded now? Oh you know? my God. <laughs> so and I got it all the way up to scientific. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you have like, what, what is Texas Instruments doing these days? Because like they They're can't, broke. they can't be making any money. I think it's only off of graphing calculators because smartphone graphing calculators are really shitty. Yeah, I tried okay. to then not spend for ti eighty dollars for it. I've tried to learn how to use graphing functions on a graphing calculator. I still, it's but why? Mystery. When are you going to use no. that? The, the only cool thing you can do with graphing calculators is find YouTube videos where people got like Doom to run on them, <laughs> <laughs> like, or they're playing like like the first level of Super Mario Brothers or something like that. <laughs> That's awesome because yeah, it's, yeah, it's just like a little computer, you know. Um, but anyway, back to the subject that I was talking about on Wikipedia because again, we're learned men and we're smart and. Because we Some have access to Wikipedia. Um, so there's a fellow fellow by the name of Gregor McGregor. Uh, he was a Scottish soldier, adventurer, and confidence trickster. Otherwise known as a con artist. <laughs> confidence <laughs> trickster. Fuck? Oh, I didn't I didn't know that that was even an abbreviated. My confidence term. is in question. <laughs> yeah, con man, confidence man. Yeah. The guy who yeah. sold the Eiffel Tower like eight times or whatever. The, he's a con man. Um who attempted from 1821 to 1837 to draw British and French investors and settlers to Poyas, Poyas, a fictional Central American territory that he claimed to rule as Cazique. Hundreds invested their savings in supposed Polyasian government bonds and land certificates, while about 250 emigrated to McGregor's invented country in 1822 to 23 to find only an untouched jungle. More than half of them died. <laughs> <laughs> Seen as a uh, contributory factor to the Panic of 1825, McGregor's Poyo scheme has been called one of the most brazen contracts in history. So we were talking about the fire festival effect last so episode. This is an <laughs> Astro World. This is <laughs> yeah, people died at this one. <laughs> the place existed and you got to go there, but instead of getting a shitty grilled cheese as your like VIP meal, you got malaria and died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. McGregor's next known location is at the court of King George Frederick Augustus of the Mosquito Coast, Cape Gr Gracias Edios of the Gulf of Honduras in April of 1820. We really need Manny for Wait, this one. Wait, is that <laughs> gracias, adios, like, Kate, thank you, goodbye? Thank you, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Which is perfect for a con artist. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant, dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> <It's> like, oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> what a what a what a exotic sounding location. I can't wait to go. Apparently it's oh, a real place. It's like, yeah. Okay, I got the money. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> the mosquito people, descendants of shipwrecked African slaves and indigenous people, shared the historic British British antipathy towards Spain and the British authorities in the region had crowned their most powerful chieftains as, quote, kings since the 17th century. They were kings in little more than name and no had no effective control over the country they ostensibly led. Britain crowned and protected them simply so they could declare the area to be under mosquito sovereignty and thereby obstruct Spanish claims. So they were there just to basically like, hey, this shack with this guy in it next to this oil derrick, He's got a lot of voting power. This is <laughs> this is this is some gerrymandering you shit. You gotta listen to him. Yeah, you, this is this is under our control. On 29th of April, 1820, George Frederick Augustus signed the document granting McGregor and his heirs a substantial swath of mosquito territory, eight million acres, twelve thousand five hundred square miles, an area larger than Wales, in exchange for rum and jewelry. <laughs> the, the land was pleasing to the eye, but unfit for cultivation and could sustain little in the way of livestock. Its area was roughly a triangle with corners at Cape Gracias, adios, <laughs> Cape Cameron, Kirk Cameron, Cape Cameron. Uh, you just go there and you have to just watch shitty made for TV movies about uh, the, the rapture and the Black River's headquarters. McGregor dubbed the area Poyas, Del Poyo, El Poyo Loco, after the natives <laughs> of the highlands across the Black River source. In mid-1821 appeared back in London calling himself the Cazique of Poyas. Kazik of Sp a Spanish American word of native chief being equivalent in McGregor's usage of prince. Yeah, he claimed to have been created. Kanye West ran. God gave me this power. <laughs> yeah. I'm the owner of this land. <laughs> he claimed to have been created such by the mosquito king, but in fact, both the <laughs> title and Poyas were of his own invention. Despite Rafter's book, London society remained largely unaware of McGregor's failures over the past few years, but remembered successes such as his march to Barcelona. Similarly, his association with the, quote, diehards of the 57th foot was recalled, but his dubious early discharge was not. In this Discharge. climate of consistently... Take three. <laughs> <laughs> in this climate of constantly shifting Latin America, where governments rose, fell, and adopted new names from year to year, it did not seem so implausible that there might be a country called Poyas, or the decorated general like McGregor might be its leader. The Kazik became a great adornment of dinner tables and ballrooms of sophisticated London, Sinclair writes. Rumors abounded that he was a... Per per fuck! <laughs> <laughs> Rumors about it that this he should be a game. Get Trout, get Kyle, drunk as shit, make and him make him read. <laughs> Rumors about it that he was partially descended from indigenous royalty. His exotic appeal was enhanced by the arrival of the striking Princess of Poyas, Josefia, who had given birth to a girl named Josefia Anna Georgia, and McGregor's sister home in Ireland. <laughs> You're holding your fucking head. Like you He's pink in the face. He's doing a you. Are you actually doing all right? I'm fine. There? I'm fine. I the see McGregor a vein popping. <laughs> the McGregors received countless social invitations, including an official reception at Guildhall from the Lord Mayor of London. God, I got through that one with no problem because there was all white, <sighs> white people words in it. <laughs> all right, let's skip to where uh, he got to the con man thing. So began what was called one of the most brazen confidence tricks in history, the Poyas scheme. McGregor devised a trisemoral par parliament and other convoluted constitutions Conv it's not even funny anymore. Another convoluted <laughs> constitutional arrangement. Pretty funny when we're sitting. It's still yeah. funny. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Kyle. <laughs> 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 
Nej, nu börjar man röra med mig. Okej. Okay. Okej, okay, the words wiggly. Okay. I can't believe nor I am a liberal. <laughs> Drew commercial and banking mechanisms and designed distinctive uniforms for each regiment of the Poyasian army. His imaginary country had an honor system, landed titles, a coat of arms, doubly supported by Poyers and unicorns. What the fuck? So that was the coat of arms. It was, uh, it was the Poyer people and unicorns. Uh, and the same green cross flag he had used in Florida. Ah, oh, so he was a Florida boy. Oh, Art. no, of course. Yeah. So we're dealing with a Florida man. The Florida man. Arkeen. He was cooking primitive forms of meth. All right. Uh, his imaginary <laughs> country had an... Okay, I already read that shit. Uh, by the end of 1821, Major William John Richardson had not only accepted McGregor's fantasy as true, but had become an active ally, providing his attractive estate at Oak Hall. I thought that said Oak Hill. Although that's a real <laughs> place in Florida. Wanted to be a British base for the supposed... Poesy and fa- royal family. I change that word every time I say it. <laughs> McGregor gave Richardson the Order of the Green Cross, commissioned him into the Poesian Royal <laughs> Regiment of Horse Guards, and appointed him Charge d'Affaires of the, the Poesian litigation. Of the, I'm just going to call it not Polynesian, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> At Dowgate Hill City in London, the top representative of Poes in Britain, Richardson's letter of credence from Gregor the First, Sovereign Prince of the state of Poyas and presented to George the Fourth. McGregor had Poyas officials set up in London, Edinburgh, Edinburgh, and Glasgow. Oh, you got that, you <laughs> fucking white, white fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Eurocentrism, Euro stuff. Uh, to sell impressive looking land certificates. The consensus among McGregor's biographers is that Britain in the early 1820s could hardly have suited him in his Poyas scheme better. Amid a general growth in the British economy following the Battle of Waterloo and the end of the Napoleonic Wars, where the monkey was hanged, uh, <laughs> oh. in- interest rates were dropping and the British government bond, the consul, offered rates of only 3% per per annum on the London Stock Exchange. Those wanting a higher return invested in more risky foreign debt. After continental European bonds were popular in the immediate water. Okay, so basically, he, he, the stage was set for him to make a bunch of money off of rubes yeah. who were going to like, ba- so, all right, I'm done reading. So basically what, <laughs> what happened, what this guy did is he got a bunch of like land certificates and like basically like- You like, own this, buy like, this. He got like Bennigan's bucks and he <laughs> gave them to people in exchange for- higher amounts of British currency. Yeah. And he said, go to this place thinking- You own it. Yeah, it's yours. You can go see it. So it's like the fire festival <laughs> where he's like, go to this place and it'll it, your stuff will be there. So, um, so yeah, I don't know if you ever, yeah. We're, we're a gang to poils together. We're a gang owner of the seas together to fairer lands and brighter skies. Nor sign he wrote again, an anthem? Heather. <laughs> Chorus to the poyous emigrant. Hey, one you're going to con a whole rich people. yeah. You got to have sing at some parties. Eager settlers. For settlers, McGregor deliberately targeted his fellow Scots, assuming that they would be most likely to trust him as a Scotsman himself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I see you are in a kilt. I think I'll have a hear of what you got to say. Their immigration <laughs> served to reassure potential investors in the Polynesian bonds and land certificates. Firstly, that the country was real, and secondly, that it was being developed, it would provide monetary returns. It's kind of like the Elon Musk thing, where he's selling people's seats on his Mars rocket yeah. or whatever. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Like, he's just, just he's Give fucking me billions of dollars. These rubes that are like, man, he's Mars. epic on Twitter. He's slamming people. <laughs> Look at that meme. <laughs> he's He's got some dope memes. Let's 
throw our money at him. <laughs> hey, I have a Tesla car. Uh, I'm part of an, a, a unique club now. It goes ultra turbo or, or whatever those douchebags, uh, you know, <laughs> think. This dude, he sounds like the ultimate, like, fanfic guy. Like, going to the lengths of writing an anthem, like, designing royal guards. He sounds like a dungeon stuff. master. Yeah, he's, yes. a, he's a fanfic guy who also has, like, a Kickstarter. <laughs> like he's, he's, so here's a bank of Poyas dollar printed in Scotland. McGregor bar bartered these worthless notes to his would-be settlers, <laughs> taking their real British money in exchange. So he was like, hey, when you get to Itchy and Scratchy land, <laughs> you're going to want to buy Itchy and Scratchy bucks. And then as soon as they get there, they realize that every- Only the, real all, money. All the signs that say only real money. No! <laughs> yeah. I'll take $1,400 yeah. worth. <laughs> There's a section called disappointment. <laughs> Honduras packet reached the Black River in November 1822, bemused to find a country rather different from the sketch's descriptions and no sign of St. Joseph. The emigrants set up camp on the shore, assuming that the Polynesian authorities would soon contact them. Like, any day now. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, their wives are like, I fucking told you. Don't worry, honey. The valet yeah. will be along. Yeah. They sent numerous search parties inland. One guided by natives who recognized the name St. Joseph found some long forgotten foundations in rubble. Paul quickly came <laughs> To the, to the private conclusion that McGregor must have duped them. The reason that <laughs> announcing such concerns prematurely would only demoralize the party, yeah, and cause <laughs> chaos. He was probably right. Get back on the fucking boat. Yeah, let's, let's go back. A few weeks after their arrival, the captain of a Honduras <laughs> abruptly and unilaterally sailed away amid a fierce storm. The immigrants found themselves alone apart from the natives and two American hermits. <laughs> he got you guys too. <laughs> yeah. They're like, I huddled, make it be. They're huddled around a fire and they're just burning the fake dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, comforting the settlers with vague assurances that the Polynesian government would find them if they just stayed there where they were. <laughs> guys, they're looking for us. The second coming will happen. I promise. <laughs> just keep not masturbating and Jesus will come back and, and hook you up. All right. Uh, <laughs> Hall set out for Cape Gracias Adios, hoping to make a contact <laughs> with the Mosquito King or find another ship. Most of the emigrants found it impossible to believe that the Kazik had deliberately misled them. Surely, Why would they do this? Surely, dear leader, wouldn't have misled us and posited that the blame must lie elsewhere or that there must have been some terrible misunderstanding. We were put on the wrong coast. That's yeah. it. Listen, Columbus got a little turned around, all right? You know, I mean, <laughs> this could have happened to anybody. Uh, the second set of colonists disembarked from the... Kennersley Castle in late March 1823, their optimism was quickly extinguished. Hall returned in April with disheartening news. He had found no ship that could help, and far from considering them any responsibility of his, King George Frederick Augustus had not even been aware of their presence. <laughs> the Kennersley Castle, having sailed, McGregor's victims could count on no assistance in the near future. The emigrants had bought ample, brought ample provisions with them, including medicines, and had two doctors among them, so they were not to in a totally hopeless situation. But apart from Hall, none of the military officers, government officials, or civil servants appointed by McGregor made any serious attempt to organize the party. <laughs> Hall returned to Cape Gracias Adios several times to seek help, but did not <laughs> did not explain his constant absences to the settlers. <laughs> this exacerbated the general confusion and anger, particularly when he refused to pay the wages promised to those supposedly on Polynesian government contracts. Uh, when 
With the coming of the rainy season, insects infested the camp. Diseases such as malaria and yellow fever took hold, and the immigrants sank into utter despair. James Hasty, a Scottish sawyer who had brought his wife and three children with him, later wrote, quote, It seemed to be the will of providence that every circumstance should combine for our destruction. End quote. The would-be royal shoemaker. Royal shoemaker. Who had left a fa- Imagine that. You buy into a fucking grift And you're to the be lowest a shoemaker. guy on the totem <laughs> pole. Like, I'm going to be the guy who spit shines the king's boots. <laughs> I'm going to wipe his ass. Yeah. <laughs> All I wanted to do was come to a new land in search of opportunity and hook a guy up with some decent kicks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. He shot himself. (laughs) (laughs) I can't make no shoes. (laughs) Gracias, adios. (laughs) Were his last words. The schooner Mexican Eagle from Britain. Let's make this a movie. Can we option this? Can we make a movie about this? We live kind of in an area where where we could make it look like this. We could go to a coast and and, and make this happen. Yes, seriously. Get Pilk on the line. I think I, I think <laughs> we have is, a this, this is some for him. This is right up his alley. <laughs> <laughs> we can shoot this in a day. We can shoot this in a day with no script, a camera, and zero microphone. <laughs> a camcorder. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean special? What do you mean period appropriate clothing? I'm gonna have a Nirvana shirt no, on. Throw, throw your sweats on. <laughs> yeah. All the settlers left except for about 40 who were too weakened by disease to make the journey. My God. Transported aboard the cramped Mexican Eagle, the lack of space necessitated three trips. The emigrants were, were in miserable shape, and when they reached Belize, and in most cases, had to be carried from the ship. The weather in British Honduras was even worse than that at the Black River, and the colony's authorities and doctors could do little to help the new arrivals. Diseases spread rapidly among the settlers, and most of them died. The colony's superintendent, Major General Edward Codd, opined, opened. Oh my God. Kyle. How drunk are you? Kyle. I'm getting there. (laughs) Kyle. I thought he was going to have an opinion. (laughs) (laughs) The words stopped moving. General Edward Codd opened an official investigation to, quote, lay lay open the true situation of the imaginary state. I think right in the title there you have your answer in the imaginary state of Poyais and the the unfortunate emigrants. And some word to British of the Poyais settlers' fate. By the time the the warning reached London, McGregor had had five more emigrant ships on the way. The Royal Navy intercepted them. Damn, those are fast ships. The third vessel, Skeen, carrying 105 more Scottish immigrants, arrived at the Black River, but on seeing the abandoned colony, the master, Captain John Wilson, sailed onto Belize and disembarked the passengers there. The fourth and last ship to arrive was uh, Albion, which arrived at Belize in November 1823, but which was carrying provisions, arms, and stores, and not passengers. The cargo was sold locally at auction. The surviving colonists variously settled in the United States, renamed in British Honduras, or sailed for home aboard the ocean, a British vessel. That's an unoriginal name. <laughs> this is my spaceship called Space. Um, a British vessel that left Belize on one uh, 1st of August, 1823. Some died during the journey back across the Atlantic of the roughly 250 who have sailed on Honduras Packet and uh, Kennersley Castle. At least 180 had perished. Fewer than 50 ever returned to Britain. He did it also in France. Damn, dude. So he was this just fucker before the before the internet, dude. Oh my god, he was acquitted. McGregor went to the- <laughs> He's killed hundreds of people, but it's yeah. like, you know what? McGregor went into hiding in the French provinces <laughs> while Lubli fled to the southern Netherlands. 
Uh, Hipsley and Irving were informed on the 6th of September that they were being investigated for... Consp- I guess these were against co- co-conspirators that I skipped over with the French one, because who cares about the French? Yeah. Uh, and uh, d- uh, conspiracy due to a fraud and sell titles to land they did not own. Both insisted they were innocent. They were taken that evening to La Force Prison. Um McGregor speculated to his Confederates that the charges against them must be the result of some abrupt change in policy by France or of some Spanish intrigue calculated to undermine Polynesian independence. <laughs> he, they, gotta give it to the man. He was holding Jesus up the ruse. The three men remained imprisoned without trial while the French attempted to extradite Luby from the Netherlands. Attempting to reassociate himself with Poyas and the Republican movement, in Latin America, McGregor issued a French language declaration from his prison cell on 10th January 1826, claiming that he was, con- quote, contrary to human rights, held prisoner for reasons of which he was not aware. I'm an innocent man. And, quote, <laughs> suffering as one of the founders of independence of the new world. This attempt to convince uh, I'm the- a <laughs> Do you trust that guy yelling from a prison cell like, I'm innocent? This attempted. To convince the French that he might have some kind of diplomatic immunity did not work. The French government and police ignored the announcement. The three Britons were brought to trial on 6 April 1826. Luby, still in the Netherlands, was tried in absentia. The Crown's prosecution's case was seriously hampered by his absence, particularly because many key documents were with him in the Netherlands. He was the, he was the bookkeeper. <laughs> the prosecutor alleged the complex conspiracy between McGregor, Luby, and their associates to profit personally for a fraudulent land concession and loan prospectus. McGregor's lawyer, I got that word right, fuckers. Uh, McGregor's lawyer and Frenchman <laughs> called uh, Merleau asserted that if anything untoward had occurred, uh, managing director should be held culpable. There was no proof of a conspiracy, he said, and McGregor could have been himself defrauded by Loopy. The prosecutor conceded that there was insufficient evidence to prove the case, complimented McGregor for cooperating with the investigation fairly and openly, and withdrew the charges. The three judges confirmed the defendant's release, a full and perfect acquittal. <laughs> would write, but days later, the French authorities succeeded in, su- succeeded in having Luby extradited, and the three men learned they would have to stand trial again. All right. Uh, the fresh trial, scheduled for 20th of May, was postponed while the prosecutor announced that he was not ready. <laughs> How, man? Oh, you already did I need this some once. More time. Yeah. <laughs> the delay gave McGregor and Merleau time to prepare an elaborate, largely fictional, 5,000 word statement purporting to describe the Scotsman's background, activities in the Americas, and total innocence of any endeavor to defraud. When the trial finally began on 10th July, 1826, Merleau was present not as McGregor's defense counsel, but as a witness for the prosecution, having been called as such because of his links with the Nouvelle Nustry Company. That sounds like shit out of The Simpsons. Yeah. That's like, I'm not even wearing a tie. <laughs> <laughs> Merlin trusted McGregor's defense to a colleague called Farrell, who read the 5,000 word submission in full before the court. You are wearing a red and white pinstripe tie and a double Windsor knot. Martier Merlou, as the author of the address to the court, had heard, and Martier. Berville, as the actor who had read the script, had done their work extremely well, Sinclair writes. Luby was convicted of making false representations regarding the sale of shares and sentenced to 13 months imprisonment. (laughs) Motherfucker killed like 200 people. Where the casique was found not guilty on all charges. They're still calling him like the king. (laughs) The imputations against Ibisley and Irving were stricken from the record. 
And he kept doing different Poya schemes to a lesson. <laughs> he didn't learn his lesson. Oh, God. Yeah, sadly, he, he kept died. getting acquitted, so of course he didn't <laughs> learn his lesson. Thank you, adios. <laughs> God damn, dude. Let's see. Um... So skipping to his death, um, McGregor was duly confirmed as a Venezuelan citizen and division general in the Venezuelan army with a pension of one third of his salary. So he died a fucking rich man. Yeah, he, uh, he, he died happy. Yeah, he settled in the capital and became a respected member of the local community. After his death at home and <laughs> comfortably in his bed on the 4th of December, 1845, surrounded by his loved ones, the way most of these motherfuckers die, <laughs> he was buried with full military honors. Yep, sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Our king. With President Carlos Cervantes. It'd be funny if it was like the ending of Big Fish where all the fake stuff, come, like all the fake people come out to his funeral and they're like, he was telling the truth. <laughs> obituaries in the carcass press extolled general mcgregor's heroic and triumphant retreat to barcelona in 1816 described him as a valiant champion of independence there was not a it's not totally off that he was he was an independent guy uh there was not a word about Emilia island portobello or rio de la hacha and there's no reference to the cazique of poyas sinclair concludes uh at the, the part of today's honduras that was supposedly called Poyas remains undeveloped in the 21st century. Back in Scotland at the McGregor graveyard near Loch Katrine, the clan memorial stones make no mention of Gregor McGregor or the country he invented. So, uh, you know. Rip Victoria. Do, do some, yeah, do, do some uh, so, yeah, you can, you, you can get away with a lot yep, before the end. An internet. evil fucking cunt died rich and happy. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. <laughs> God damn, dude. Put a thunk it. That's how they all go, though. Mm-hmm. Comfortably in their beds, surrounded by loved ones, not having paid for any of their crimes. Nope. <laughs> Weaseled out of all of it. All the people they murdered died Like screaming. 50 years after they should have probably died. So I guess we'll save uh, the other stories we have for next week. But um, for the last like 15 minutes, do you guys want to talk about this guy who killed tigers? Oh, yeah. Yes. All right. <laughs> so here's, a, here's, here's actually... A cool ass dude, fellow by the name of Jim Corbett, Edward James Corbett, born twenty fifth of July, eighteen seventy five, in the uh, northwestern provinces of India. He was a hunter, a gamesman, a rifleman, and a hero. <laughs> Haven yeah. Haven sent me uh, an article called like the what was it the the Jaws of India Jaws with tigers Jaws with tigers. <laughs> it was a New York Post article, so I was like, I got to find other sources. But I ended up just going to um, <laughs> just going to because uh, they they said he was an Irishman in the article. Yeah, he was actually born in India and was an Englishman. <laughs> <laughs> he was British, <laughs> so they wow. They did not have their. He was like super British. Yeah, exactly. He was British colonial for sure. He's as British as he could be. <laughs> There were movies made about him. Really? Yep. He hunted man-eating tigers and leopards. There was a man-eating tiger in this article that Haven gave me. It was like something like 400 people got got by this thing. 463 people were eaten by this This, tiger. This is like mythically legendary tiger that would just like out of nowhere just get people. (sighs) Just to carry them off. Shit. Yeah. So uh, they were like, hey, we need this guy with a gun. To, to take him off, to take him out. They went to Quint first and he's like, no, I'm deal with sharks. Yeah, so they were they were basically in a meeting about how to take care of it and then they heard, it's <laughs> And they all turned around and saw a guy next to a chalkboard. <laughs> oh, that's what you gotta do. You gotta get a guy with a gun. 
Black eyes. Like a doll's eyes. You say a tiger needs killing. <laughs> That's funny. He, there's a reference to him in Guild Wars, too. <laughs> All right. According to Peter Byrne, professional hunter and author from Nepal, the tiger uh, in question began her attacks in RuPaul Village uh, in a RuPaul drag race <laughs> in western Nepal, Himalayas. Hunters were sent to kill the tiger, but she yeah, managed the to evade them. Tiger is also a she. That's a girl boss tiger. It's a girl boss tiger, dude. From it's RuPaul's RuPaul, spirit RuPaul, animal. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, the sp- by the way, do you know RuPaul uh, owns a bunch of like 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 fracking firms or whatever. What? Like, this what? has a bunch of land where fracking takes place or something like that. So, you know. Um, but despite failing to kill or capture the tiger, soldiers organized a massive beat and managed to force the tiger to abandon her territory and drive her across the border, the border River Sarda into India. Do you have a problem now? <laughs> <laughs> they drive her into Shelbyville, where she continued her killing activities in the Kumeon district. The tiger would adjust her hunting strategy so as to best hunt and evade humans, traveling great distances between villages, as much as 19.8 miles in a day, undertaken at night, with her new territory both to claim new victims and evade pursuers. Her behavior became more like a Siberian tiger in her habits, and she created a larger territory to encompass multiple villages in the Kumeon area, with Champuat being close to the center of her territory. Most of her victims were young women and children who often went to the forest to collect firewood, feed livestock, and resources for craft work. I just went to go get stuff for a macaroni yeah. picture. My <laughs> sister got caught. All her kills happened during the daylight. Corbett said he was not aware of a single case of a tiger killing a human during the night. Life across the region was it's paralyzed. A yeah. She built up her appetite running. With men often refusing to leave their huts for a week, hearing the tiger's <laughs> no, roars. Send my wife. <laughs> the local authorities would frequently get encrypted letters from the tiger, <laughs> taunting them. You'll never <laughs> stop me with a little paw print. <laughs> it's like a little symbol that the tiger made. <laughs> it's just the monster logo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all her kills. Oh yeah! So in 1907, the tiger was killed by British hunter Jim Corbett. Spoilers: The tiger had killed a six. She, the tiger had killed a 16-year-old girl, uh, Premka De- Devi, in the village of Fungar near the town of Champwat, and left a trail of blood, which Corbett followed. After nearly getting ambushed by the tiger while investigating the remains of its victim and scaring her off with two shots from his rifle, Corbett had abandoned. The, had to abandon the hunt deciding to use the villagers and to organize a beat the next day in the, the, the Champa River Gorge. With the help of uh, Tosidar of Champawat, the beat was organized with about 300 villagers, and the next day at about noon, Corbett shot the tigress dead. Corbett's first shot hit the tigress in the chest and shoulder, but his last shot made with the Tosidar's rifle to keep it from charging him after he ran out of bullets. <laughs> he hit her in the foot, causing it to collapse 20 feet from him. The postmortem on the tiger showed the upper and lower canine teeth on the right side of her mouth were broken. The upper one in half and the lower one right down to the bone. This injury is a result of an old gunshot, according to Corbett, probably prevented her from hunting her natural prey, and hence she started to hunt humans. Further examinations made by Corbett during his... So much for top of the food chain. Yeah. <laughs> where like, it's like, oh, I'm tired of hunting like you know elk. I'm going to go kill a fucking person. Corbett, yeah. during his hunt for the tiger, indicated that she was a healthy condition physically other than her teeth. It was between tw- 10 and 12 years old. After bringing down the Chappawat Tiger, Jim Corbett acquired a reputation as the leading hunter of man-eaters. The ability served him well at a time when deforestation and diminishing prey were driving more and more tigers and leopards to hunt humans for food. So yeah, um, he also killed like snow leopards and shit. This dude, like, <laughs> I was looking up, trying to look up like videos about um, 
like his life and stuff on YouTube, and there's just a bunch of NRA videos about like this is why <laughs> wow. rifles are important. Tigers. <laughs> but you never hear about shit like that. Like when there's bears or something like attacking a community, you never like have a hero come in and like shoot the yeah. bear. You have to like call PETA and they like shoo him away. Then yeah. he just comes back the next day. Yeah, dude, he he was like fucking famous and stuff. Oh, he wrote Peter a bunch of fuck it and then it comes <laughs> back the next day. He wrote a shitload of books about stuff too. I was listening to one today on the way back from the uh, DMV and, and at the DMV because I was waiting a very long time. <laughs> He's a pretty good writer just writing about like, you know, being in the in the in the dark jungle. Jungle. Yeah. Hunting his prey. So, but yeah, that's uh that's another one in the can. This, these ones went fast when we actually have stuff to talk about and don't have to flounder for an hour 20. <laughs> <laughs> you guys didn't have to do shit tonight. Yeah. There's <laughs> just a bunch of reading and making fun of me. I saw. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the I tables saw. have turned. Yeah. I, I was going to say, now I know how Drew feels. <laughs> <laughs> Call him Pete Davidson. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> he's done being Pete Davidson. He had to wear that for a couple of weeks, but he's good now. He gave me five dollars. So. <laughs> he's good. Yeah. He's in my good graces. Yeah, and I promised ten. <laughs> but hey, if you do fifteen, you get a free print sent to you by Patreon of Alley, so you can have your very own print, and I'll autograph it for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll sign that motherfucker. I'll have fifteen bucks. I'll have Haven stamp it with my autograph. Yeah. Oh, now I came. It's a printed one. <laughs> It's like, it's like when Bart has it's a lot of Simpsons stuff. This episode, Bart gets the check from Krusty. It's <laughs> yeah, just got a stamp. <laughs> well, until next week, uh, we'll see you when we're see you suckers. learned men. <laughs>